0: Hi, this is Cohen Esri Apartment Investors. We have a podcast focused on apartment investing. My name is Lydia Kincaid. I'll be your moderator today. We have Lee Harris, our president and CEO, Ryan Huffman, our chief operating officer. Today, we are going to case study one of our deals that we recently completed. Um, The apartment is called Brighton Creek, and it is right here in our backyard in the Kansas City metro area. Ryan, how about if you could share with our audience a little bit more information um, about why we liked this deal to begin with. Give us an idea of the market conditions here in Kansas City um, and some of the metrics that we liked um, before we even bid on this property.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously Kansas City is our headquarters market. We've been here 53 years, so we know the market really, really well. Um, And so, you know, from a metric standpoint, tight occupancy, diversified employment. I mean, if you really talk macroeconomics, Kansas City is well positioned. I call it the flyover country and we've got rolling hills. So what we mean by that is we're not impacted by the boom bust of of the coastal markets. We tend to rent increase at a slower pace, rent decelerate at a slower pace. So it's a fairly insulated market that's got great diversification of economy, great school districts, and so we really, we enjoy our headquarters market a lot. This specific area is in North Kansas City, and I'll give some stats on why we like that area. Um, the, the total metro employment growth over the last decade has been about 13, 14%, um, which is great. They've got, you know, this particular area has seen population grow in the one mile radius by 38% in the last five years. Household incomes have gone up 18%. Uh, in that same period, and currently stand at an average ninety thousand dollars per household. Those are good metrics for us in terms of what we look for. We're typically sixty thousand and higher, so ninety as well within the range of what we want to see. Uh, and home values have gone up about five percent. So the market at where this is at has a lot of potential and has seen a lot of growth and continues to see growth. The other thing we liked about the specific property is it's, it's brand new construction. It was, I say brand new, but it was constructed in 2019. Um, It's got a healthy unit mix. 41% of the units are one bedrooms. 47% are two bedrooms and 12% are three bedrooms. So a really good stratification of the unit mix are there. So the property had run well. Um, It was running about $300 below direct class A competitors in the market. Um, and so, you know, we put together our statistics and had a value add on this property of about $5,000 a unit to get lift of about $165. So you can see kind of well within that range of the $300 delta, we're still very well positioned uh, on an affordability standpoint to to get this done. Because at the end of the day, when we finished our renovation, our rent to income ratio is only 20% in this submarket. So what that is for those listening is the amount of rent somebody would pay against the average income in the area and 20% is darn good when you consider usually about a third of the housing cost or a third of your budget is housing costs so we still have a 10% delta so there was a lot to like about this at a very high level highly amenitized deal great cool big screen television that you can see from the highway um you know all of the bells and whistles you can look for so you might wonder what we could do and we'll talk more about that as we go but from the start this was a good a good good story to tell
0: ryan was this a competitive process to win this deal
1: oh yeah (laughs) it's definitely competitive and i would say you know most of the deals we purchase are competitive we're also not the high bidder we weren't the high bidder here either a lot of times someone in the transaction knows us and i think that's speaking at a macro level crafting your reputation in the marketplace is essential because those folks that know you, they know you'll do what you say you're going to do. You're not under the habit of getting properties under contract and then retrading them or dropping them out of contract. That's that's a good mark to get yourself in the door on a lot of transactions.
0: So what I think we could spend some time talking about today is really the structure of this deal. This one took a lot of creativity and there were a lot of moving parts along the way to wrap everything together and get this deal to close. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's really... Um, a good way for us to show um, some of our creativity, um, for lack of a better word, um, and how how we're able to get deals done. Um, Lee, maybe if you'd like to give us that, a big picture overall, what did this structure look like? And then we can go on into some of the nuances here.
2: Yes, the traditional structure we see in a lot of our deals involves an LP, a limited partner, uh, and, and then we have a co-investment equity, which is provided through one or two sometimes of our co-investment funds. Uh, this was a little different in that uh, it's a, it's a good-sized property, 312 units. Uh, it had some unique elements to it uh, structurally, including a ground lease, a long-term ground lease. Ryan can speak to that, but I believe it was a 100-year ground lease that's at the very early stages. And that knocked out some investors, uh, LP investors that we have that do not uh, generally like the uh, ground lease uh, component, uh, and, and they have their various reasons. Uh, we don't have a problem with it as long as the, the term is long enough, and uh, and, and the the other. Uh, elements of the of the ground lease are benign, relatively benign, and the numbers have to work, obviously. So we're dealing with the ground lease. We we brought in a, a had an LP that that took a a large preferred equity tranche. I believe, 72 percent of the uh, of the equity stack was the LP. 28 percent was the co-invest. Co-invest is usually in the 10 percent range. So it was quite a bit larger in this particular case. Uh, we we split up that uh, that twenty eight percent and and did, did what's called a sidecar investment along with our our fund co investment. Uh, this was CEAI Fund Twenty Four, uh, and it took uh, about thirty five percent of the co invest piece of that twenty eight percent, and the sidecar. Uh, uh, structure, <laughs> took 65% or, or thereabouts of that 28%. So it's starting to get a little hairy, I realize, with the math here. But there are some investors that like to invest in uh, in the single asset. There are other investors that like the fund approach. Uh, the fund approach uh, makes a lot of sense from a diversification standpoint, diversifying risk, diversifying geography, and that's what Fund 24 provides. Uh, but there are investors that really like the the single asset uh, model here. And we were fortunate that uh, we were able to subscribe that at 65% so that instead of a 20, instead of a 10% to co-invest, we were 28% and we, we tranched it uh, and it worked to worked very well.
0: And Lee's right. I mean, we do have several investors who really prefer to make investments in a single asset, and this allowed them to do that. This was one, I think, Lee, we were oversubscribed for. Like We had to cut off um, what we allowed people to invest in that side garden entity because there was so much interest. Um, and that, that does happen sometimes. Uh, Ryan, is there anything else you'd like to add to this structure? Because I think there were a couple other nuances to it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's talk about some of the nuances in in the structure. <clears throat> and let's go back to to kind of some, I always say our assets have a story, and, and it's always a unique story. So the first one is we assumed a loan from Freddie Mac on this particular uh, transaction. They had put that loan on in December of 2019, and it was a 15-year term loan. So a pretty healthy runway remaining of just shy of 13 years when we closed the deal. Um, it matures in 2035, so we're pretty well insulated during our hold period depending on what rates do you could even sell this property you know five years down the road and somebody could assume the loan and it would still have you know seven years of runway left and the interest rates 395 which looks really cheap today (laughs) in the market um so that was kind of the first nuance the other nuance lee mentioned and let's talk about it is this the seller of this property um the way they set up their their estate planning is through ground leases so you're buying the leasehold improvements. They keep the ground lease. This particular ground lease um, runs for 99 years. It has 3% escalators in it um, through 20, 2054. But here's the kicker. Because the ground lease is in place, your going-in cost is well below what you would have paid if you had the land free and clear. And that, frankly, lowered the number of potential buyers, which made this, again, a unique play. Um, but just from a straight... I'm going to construct an apartment complex you're probably about a hundred thousand dollars or more below replacement cost on that property with what we bought it for um and you know people can talk about ground leases but it's a 99 year ground lease it's you know it's not going to go away um, anytime soon through any cycle of a sale so as long as you can build those payments in that's that's the uniqueness the last thing i want to say and lee brought it up you know doing this structure under under a preferred equity structure effectively caps our 72% limited partner at a lower return, which allows a lot more benefit to flow over into the manager entity, which really juices those returns for the sidecar. So there was, again, a lot in this structuring that played a huge benefit to what we liked about that deal.
2: Well, and let let me tag on there, Ryan. You mentioned the manager entity and you, you probably should explain the manager entity includes our co-investment fund. Correct. That's our, uh, that's our co-invest vehicle. Right. So uh, this isn't a situation where we as the sponsor are uh, are taking all this benefit, but uh, because the way we structure where the, the co-invest fund is part of the manager entity, uh, they get the benefits as well. So... Uh, I think that's a, a point of clarification that needs to be made here. Agreed.
0: So, as most of our properties are, this is scheduled for a five-year holding, right, Ryan?
1: That's correct.
0: So, just for the benefit of our of our listeners, can you walk us through what those five years are going to look like for Brighton?
1: Yeah, our typical period, our typical structure. So, we do all of our uh, renovations what we call on the turn, and what that means is, as a as a unit naturally vacates. And comes back into the inventory. We'll deploy our capital, um, and then we'll release it at higher rents and and do what's called a reposition of the rent roll. Most apartment complexes are going to turn anywhere between forty and fifty percent of their units every year, just by naturally occurring fundamentals. So that process takes us about two, two and a half years to execute the business plan. and what what happens on the interiors is we'll run through that over two years. We do our exterior renovation immediately. Now, on this particular deal, because it's so new, there was not a lot of money appropriated for the exteriors. Only about $1,300 of our 5000 was for that, um, and a lot of that was amenities, a package receiving station, fitness center updates, a dog park, um, some private courtyards. So really, it was more beautification than it was deferred maintenance. On the interiors, what we're really focused on which is, is kind of our first target of doing this. Um, the other $3,700 of our renovation is for the interior. And what we're doing on that is we're providing front-loading washer-dryer sets on 210 units. So a, a portion of the units already had equipment, we're just putting the equipment in the rest. Um, and then we're, using, we're doing smart home technology on all units. And the smart home technology is gonna be things like door locks, thermostats, USB stations, all that can be controlled by your phone and a fob so you know the beauty of that is you walk up to your unit the doors can unlock the thermostat moves to where you want it to and so it it becomes a much easier um, technology home concept as what you're what you're looking at so all of that gets deployed systematically over that two and a half years then what we have is two and a half years of what we'd call runway and that means after we do our investment execution we sit down every year during budgets and and really discuss the assets and where they're at in the life cycle is it the market in a place where we could execute a sale or recapitalization um, any number of those options we could do a supplemental here on the loan so this has a lot of investment runway where you could go in different shoots after you do that investment execution to really continue to to juice returns throughout the investment hold so there's a lot to talk about. And and I would say, and Lee can chime in, what we really love is having these multiple shoots because you never know what you're gonna have, you know, three, four years down the road. I mean, look now we've got interest rates that went from, you know, one to five over the course of a year. We couldn't have foreseen that three years ago. So as long as you have multiple ejection points or multiple ways to push return, that's
2: what we love about having an investment like this. Well, and let me let me talk about something you just said, Ryan, and that, that's recapitalization. What does that mean in our vernacular? Well, uh, what we're always trying to do is purchase assets that uh, are high quality and uh, would would be good for years and years to come. Most of our investors are looking for their returns over five years uh, through some some form of exit. If if we have great assets that we believe in, uh, our philosophy is why sell them uh, and get rid of them, uh, which we've done before, but right now we're working on sourcing capital that will allow us on many of our current holdings and future holdings to be able to recapitalize them at the end of that five-year holding period. Recapitalize means most likely new limited partner, uh, perhaps new co-invest, co-investment to an, another fund of ours. Uh, we would likely look for uh, multiple MAI appraisals so that we get the right kind of, of pricing. Obviously, we make some money. Uh, our incentive is, is aligned with our existing investors to make good money on, on the, the exit, uh, on the back end. But at the same time, we need to make sure that the investors coming in get a fair price. So we're in a high wire act when we recapitalize an asset that way. Uh, and we're already having those conversations with with capital sources right now to, to help us with that recap, as we call it. We have a, a number of assets that are slated in 2024 uh, for potential sale or recapitalization. And we would look at each asset individually uh, what's the market like? How is that asset performed? Is there still juice left in the deal that the next group of investors can enjoy a similar return over the next five years? Uh, and if we find that uh, an asset's probably at the end of, of the uh, opportunity period, we would probably just sell it outright. But the idea is that most of the assets we're trying to acquire now could have a longer life than just five years, and therefore that recap becomes a, a critical component of our program.
0: And part of this, and we've discussed this before, I mean, part of this is our strategy to not go in and renovate 100% of the units in a, in a community. Um, that way, the next buyer, whoever it is, still has the opportunity for more of their own runway to make their own improvements um, or whatever changes might be. Um, a variable at the time. What else, Ryan, about this deal or Lee that our, that our audience might benefit from learning about? Lee, did you I,
2: have? I I think I think that another aspect that's not just about this deal, but uh, about our program generally, and a lot of uh, of sponsors think probably in a similar fashion, and that is uh, concentration uh, risk. Uh, we're trying to acquire up to 1,000 units or 1,500 units perhaps in a market, and uh, we're we're not looking to corner the market in a particular community, uh, and then have investments in multiple cities uh, across the country. We've talked before about how we select the markets uh, based on job growth, population growth, uh, income growth, rent growth. Uh, all of those factors. Um, but diversification is a big deal to us. And we, we we don't mind a little heavier concentration in our headquarters market simply because it's a great market. It's not a boom. It's not a bust market. And we're right right here in our own backyard, so to speak. But uh, part of our strategy here as we recap, part of our strategies we acquire is uh, to to pay attention to concentrations, one thing that we always try to do is is buy properties that are of sufficient size that we aren't compelled in any way, shape, or form to buy another property in that market if it doesn't make sense to do so. And, you know, a 300-unit property is kind of a sweet spot. 200 units works just fine. You can have good you know, professional staff on site. Uh, it's not hard to get to the markets that we uh, operate in. Uh, and what we wouldn't want to do is buy 80 units in a market and then we're struggling for staffing and we just have to go out and find that next 200 unit property. We don't do that. So uh, again, this is this is just a little bit of a window into our uh, overall acquisition strategy. And then there's the operational uh, strategy portion of it that, that goes right along with this. So market knowledge is important to us. And, and as we buy more properties in Kansas City, or Atlanta, or Dallas, Fort Worth, or wherever San Antonio, uh, we, we we start to gain a lot of market knowledge, and we have that micro microeconomic uh, uh, competency that is helpful in terms of guiding uh, that investment and make little tweaks along the way to, to help returns and to to de-risk uh, these assets. So uh, I think. Brighton Creek falls right into that, uh, that mold, and uh, it's, it's already performing nicely. Uh, we closed that, uh, that acquisition last March, I believe, February or March. Uh, it originated in, in uh, toward the end of 2021, uh, so we're, we're approaching one year of, of operation there, and so far, so good with the results and the performance. Great. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: thank you, Lee. Thank you, Ryan, as always. Thanks for walking us through this this case study and specifically talking about creative deal structures. Thanks, everyone, for listening.